You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Good morning, Grace family. We will read in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 20 this morning. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Eturia and Trachonitis, and Lacinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warn you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not exhort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations. And be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshold excuse me, threshing floor, and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, the tetriarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodus, his brother's wife, and for all of the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you all so much. I don't want you to be afraid to ever be a reader of a church. Not all the names are as hard 
is the one as Richard had to share. If you're just joining us, um, first I should say this, my name is Jason Goings, I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision here, and we are um, into our fourth week of preaching through a series that we feel like it's, it's important for us to do at this season in the existence of our church, and we feel like it was, we just needed to come to a season where we're, we're bumping into and encountering stories of people who encountered Jesus. And so we turn to Luke, Dr. Luke, and we looked at first week one of who Luke is and why we chose the book of Luke. And he has a, a, a wonderful way of, uh, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, to show us story by story by story these, these records of these people who encounter Jesus. And so our prayer throughout this series is that we come face to face through the word that we would encounter Jesus as we preach through Luke. If you're here today and halfway through this message today, you're like, wait, is he preaching this because he knew I was here today? Uh, the answer is no. Uh, and yes, I knew somebody would probably be here today, but I didn't know specifically who. And we're preaching this one because it's next. It's the next place in Scripture, and we come to Luke chapter 3. We've already, first week, we talked about Luke a little bit. We talked about what this book is doing. Second week, we looked at how uh, there were Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and the uh, shepherds. They encountered messengers, Gabriel and angels, who came to talk about the one that is to come. First, there's John the Baptist is going to come, and he's going to come and talk about the one to come. And then after that one that's coming to talk about the one to come, there's one that's coming, and there doesn't need to be anybody beyond that. Like, that's the one that's coming. And so these angels, we talked about that in week two. And the last week, we looked at Jesus in chapter two um, at the age of 12 in the temple and responding to his parents and what might have been going through his mind as he's celebrating the Passover and learning and teaching also in the temple. We saw this last week. And here we are, we come to this text in this series, and it's 18 years later. We go from Jesus as a 12-year-old to Jesus is going to come on scene at the end here, where he's 30 years old. It's 18 years later until John comes back onto the scene here. And so much has changed in 18 years. You may not think, well, 18 years, there's not a lot that can go on. Well, I'm speaking to the baccalaureate today. I have a son who's graduating today, and, and that made me kind of think, what's happened in the last 18 years? Well, just 18 years ago, uh, 2004, George W. Bush was president. Seems like a long time ago for some. Maybe it seems like yesterday for others. Uh, the average income, annual income in our country... $35,648. The average cost of a brand new car, $22,000. About the price of gas today. Anyway, $22,000. The average price of a gallon of gas was $1.88. Surprised that that got you. Um, the NBA champs, the Detroit Pistons, and I know this is going to surprise all of you here, the NFL champs that year was the New England Patriots. 
Uh, but here's what's really amazing. Uh, in that year, um, there was the startup of a social networking site reserved just for Harvard University called Facebook. And so if you think about all that's happened on just the social media realm of our culture and how we connect with each other and how easy it is, it was just 18 years ago that Facebook started on the campus of Harvard University. What has happened in the 18 years before John came and when Jesus was 12 years old, well, we see it in the first verse here, a lot's happened. There's a new emperor. They go from Augustus Caesar to Tiberius Caesar. There's a new governor, some guy by the name of Pontius Pilate. We might hear about him later in the book. There's this foursome of tetrarchs. What happened was uh, Herod divided up his little region of rule in his will. And he said, I wanted it uh, dispersed to my four offsprings. And so there is now a new tetrarch in this, er in this region. There's a new high priest. It's a big deal for the Jewish people. Israel had only, uh, was only supposed to have one high priest. Annas um, has, was the high priest but was removed as the high priest because Rome wanted him removed. And so uh, in his place was a man named Caiaphas, replaced him officially, but the Jewish people still gave tribute and counted Annas and Caiaphas as the high priest. It, it was weird. All of this was going on. All of these new changes, all of this stuff had happened in 18 years. And also, here we have, for the first time in 400 years, we now have a new prophet. It had been 400 years since the people had heard from somebody that was a, a professing prophet of God. So this is a new prophet. This is a new messenger we see in verse 2, it says, The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So, who is this guy? Who is this new prophet? Well, he is the ultimate wilderness man. When we think of men going into the wilderness, sometimes even, I remember in my little uh, boy picture Bible, uh, there's a picture of John the Baptist, and he's coming out of uh, all these trees, which is completely inaccurate. That was not what the wilderness was like back then. It's not like he's coming out of Sherwood Forest or something like that. The land from Judea to the Jordan River was as barren as any place could be. This was a desolate place. I've actually been there. I've driven from the Dead Sea into Jerusalem. And the only thing in the area are, are rocks a few scrub bushes scattered here and there. The sand is not sand. It's not sand at all. When you think of desert wilderness, you think of all the sand. There's no sand. It's just a bunch of rocky, pebbled dirt with scatterings of critters, scorpions and these snakes, these vipers, and these snakes and vipers weren't like long boa constrictors hanging in trees and doing, no, they were about like this long, and sometimes they would uh, literally be straight across, and they would be confused because of the camouflage with the dirt like a stick. So kids would pick them up. Remember that when we come later to John's message. He's known as a man that lived 
eating locust and wild honey. There's no trees. There's not much shade here. He is stripped of every luxury and comfort that we could want. But God was with him. And God was giving to him everything he needed. God was feeding to him the very words that he's supposed to come. So even if there's nothing else we take from this, in our addiction to comfort and luxury, there is this reminder that when you're with God in the place God wants you to be, it may not be all that comfortable. But if it's where God wants you to be, he will provide. So we have a new prophet. We got a new messenger. And this new messenger prophet is bringing a new right, R-I-T-E, to the people. The right of baptism. The Jews were to be baptized for the remissions of their sins. The, the right of baptism was a radical concept to the Jews. They, it wasn't unfamiliar to them at all, but it was a radical concept for them because before this time, Baptism for the Jewish people was significant only, only for a proselyte baptism. What that means is it was a cleansing ritual that the Jewish people enacted on the Gentile people who wanted to convert into Judaism. The reason it's proselyte baptism and the reason why it was inaugurated was because from the Jewish perspective, the Gentiles were dirty. They were unclean. So if you were a Gentile, a non-Jew, and you wanted to become in, you wanted to practice Judaism, there's several things you had to do. You had to, first of all, um, believe by faith the content that was taught, the law. You had to then be circumcised, and then you had to be given a bath, a symbolic gesture of I'm washing off the non-Jewish ways. I'm a dirty person that's coming and being cleansed. And here we have this new messenger, this new prophet telling these people, you be baptized. We'll get to that in a minute. So with this new rite of baptism for them, we also see a new message. After 400 years of silence, a new voice, this prophetic message comes out of the wilderness to the Jordan River area. The contrast in that alone, again, been to the Jordan River, it is a rushing, flowing river. Coming from that, from, coming from the wilderness to this, there's this message. The baptism is given to the Jews and for the Jews because God is telling them that through John, everything now is beginning to change. The kingdom of God is at hand. You thought this way, but now the kingdom is coming. The Messiah is about to appear. Salvation is coming close. People of God, Israel, you thought you were clean. You're not clean because the one who's coming is coming and you need to get ready for his coming. You need to understand that you're not safe, secure, and held like you think you are. The Jews need to repent. They need to be baptized, indicating the remission of their sins. So, 
They have new rulers. They have new rights. They have new circumstances around them. They have a new prophet that's come with a new message to hear. So with all of these new things and all of these changes that God obviously wants his people to hear, how should a man go about convincing the people of these things? How should somebody like John here convince and win over a crowd to this new and exciting news and changes in the kingdom of God? What sort of smooth, strategic plan and speech do you bring to the mic to get everybody on board, to make sure everybody is happy, make sure everybody is agreeable and actually will come back ready to hear more? If it were today, we'd probably learn approaches, go into the YouTube, go into TED Talks and say, okay, well, they did this. They emphasized this. They came out dressing this way. Or maybe they did that. Like, like you got to captivate. Like, what kind of smoke do we need or lights do we need? And is it amplified enough? Are we in the right space? Are people warm enough? Are they cool enough? When I was in high school, I was instructed to read the book by Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Should we have given that to John? Does he practice talking? Let me just listen to Matthew McConaughey for about a month. That'll do it. Or Morgan Freeman, that guy's got it. Or do we begin the addressing the crowd like a Joel Osteen? Let's make sure everybody's happy before we bring something that's changing. Well, let's see what he does. Verse four. As written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare. So we have this reference and quote from Isaiah. Don't have a lot of time to unpack everything in this, but here's what we see here in Luke. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Verse seven, he said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him. Okay, here we go. What do you got for us? You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit, does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Their response, what shall we do? We notice a few things in this speech. Uh, first of all, we notice, uh, John, you're not gonna keep this crowd if you keep talking to them like that. That's what we would say. That's what church conferences would tell John. John, wait a minute. 
you really blew it. Several things we learn about this message from this messenger at the river here. The first part of the message is this. Prepare the way. Prepare the way. You think things have been changing before? You think all these rulers, all these emperors, all this political stuff, you think that's going to catch you up? No. More is coming. In verse 5, we see this reference to Isaiah, and we see also in verse 9 this strange analogy. And we don't, again, have time to dive into all of it, but just real simply, what he's leading up to, this is his intro, by the way, the lowly are going to be brought up. The proud will be brought low. The unbearable, heavy yoke that y'all have been wearing or that some have been wearing and that you've been putting on to people is going to be exchanged through this one that's coming. Identity in your parents' religion is not safe. Prepare the way. You prepare the way. Prepare the way. So that leads to the second part, and it's a word that has become a cuss word in our culture for some reason, and it is the word repent. We're actually going to talk about this word in our community groups this week, and that is one way, if you are struggling in your community group with too many people, for me to announce that, there may be less people coming to your community group this week. We're actually going to talk about this word and what, before we dig into this word more, we need to understand that John's message is coming to the crowd. Who's in this crowd? When a band or when a speaker, have you ever seen that whenever they say the wrong name when they're in the crowd? A band is in Houston and then they say, hey, we love being here in Dallas. That didn't go well. Speakers in Detroit, but he says, oh, in Chicago, great. That doesn't really work well. You got to know the crowd. John, do you know your crowd? Who are you speaking these words? Prepare the way, repent too. Well, a few things that we do know about the crowd is, first of all, he calls them a brood of vipers. He knows what vipers are. He had to avoid them in the wilderness. He knows that they would lay and they would be straight across and they uh, would be straight across. Most adults would be wise enough to know that's a, that's a viper, that's a snake. Let's not pick that up. And it's about this big, long. But if you had families journeying through there, kids would see a snake and they would go after and obviously very poisonous, strike the young. These brooder vipers is how John refers to them. Aren't you thankful that when you walked in here this morning, David didn't go, hey, got some announcements, you brood of vipers, you serpent, poisonous, sinful people. But will we be out of line? Don't worry. I'm not going to do that in our welcome next week. He knows that in this crowd... He knows them enough that he refers to them 
as a brood of vipers. He knows that this is a diverse crowd. He, you might sit in there and say, yeah, a brood of vipers. There were some religious leaders there, or there was this person. No, he understands this is a diverse crowd because we see in verse 11, 15, later in verse 19, all the different people that make up this crowd. When they're asking, what do we do to this news you're telling us? He addresses several different types of people. He knows that it's a well-rounded group. You got the two tunic people. The wealthy ones, the ones that have extra clothes, the ones who kind of hoard things or like want to hold on to. You got the tax collectors, the, the greedy, taking advantage of people. People, You got the soldiers in the group that were empowered, they were tough, be feared a little bit. He dresses them. You got Herod, the Tetrarch down here. You got, so you got these political, powerful people in the group. It's a diverse crowd that makes up this group. He knows enough to call them brood of vipers. He knows that it's a diverse group. He also knows that they are coming fearing the wrath of God. Where do I get that? Well, verse 7, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? There's this question here that's really weird. These people from all different walks of life, all different occupations, have heard there's this guy at the river that's telling us and warning us the wrath of God is coming. Because even though the baptism and being unclean, all that kind of stuff is kind of a new thought for them, this new messenger for 400 years, they were well aware that when God did bring a prophet, usually the prophet was coming with some sort of warning of the wrath of God. And so they heard this prophet was at the river and they're coming to find relief from the wrath that is to come. They're coming to hear, hoping that what they're going to hear is someone telling them how to avoid the wrath of God. So they do what we all do. They put their association in their longtime faith. We belong Abraham. I was, yeah, I'm covered. I was seven years old, went to camp, and VBS was so great. And yeah, I, I go to church, and I don't do what these people do over in temple. I don't do what these people do over in this part of Salem. No, they were already sort of even kind of walking the line of excusing themselves, but just wanting to make sure. So John has to ask them, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come. So they know there's wrath coming. John's wondering, how are you even aware of this? For 400 years, they wondered, what's the next message going to be? They knew enough about God. They knew enough about messengers that it had to involve some sort of real serious connection with God that we got to make sure is right. It makes me pause when I think about us today in 2022. Why is there not more people today that are fearing the wrath of God? I'm, I'm saying that about us. Like, we have the Old Testament we have the New Testament. In the New Testament, there are so many warnings and cautions about fruit 
and bad fruit and loving the world and loving Christ. Yet today we hardly recognize anyone that might fear the wrath of God. That's checking their life, checking and seeing, is there growth in my life? Is there fruit coming out of me? Why not? As we look at these brood of vipers that he's confronting, we go, yeah, yeah, they, they probably should have been called that. Do we ever go, I think I could be in that category? Why not? What makes us so special? I think one quick answer to that is we are so used or familiar with the message of Jesus that we actually forget and ignore the message of Jesus. We just, we like this part of Jesus. But there's a lot that we're going to see in this face-to-face encounters with Jesus that we need to listen to and go, whoa, do I know him that way? So they come, this diverse group of people, and they supposedly they desire to escape the wrath of God. And like a good and faithful messenger of God, John actually tells them how to repent. He doesn't just say, make straight the ways. He doesn't just say, repent. He actually answers the question when they seriously have the question, what do we do? How do we repent? Well, we see here there's a baptism of repentance and then there's a fruit of repentance. I'm gonna quote R.C. Sproul here because he writes and talks about this and it's really good. I can't really make it better than what he wrote. So here's what he says. He says, I think it's appropriate to distinguish between different kinds of repentance. There is a repentance of contrition. And then R.C. in his commentary refers to David in Psalm 51 where it says, I have a broken and contrite heart, spirit. Where he poured his heart out before God when he was called out with his adultery and his murderous ways and his lackluster discipline as a king. And he was broken before the Lord. He knew that everything that he'd done had hurt all these people and wrecked the kingdom and hurt his own family, but he had the audacity in his broken heart to say to God, against you, And you alone have I sinned. That is a man who has modeled for us what repentance in a contrite heart looks like. So there's a repentance of contrition, R.C. goes on to say, but there is also attrition. This is the kind of repentance that children show when they are caught with their hand in the cookie jar. And they say, please don't spank me, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. They're repenting because they just want to get out of the punishment. That's some of what's going on here. And that's some of what goes on with our life, isn't it? Where we say, okay, what do I got to do to just be good enough to not face discipline? Baptism is one of those steps to symbolize the cleansing of our life, the changing of our life. But he goes on here to say, bear fruits, keeping with the repentance. And he gives the examples here. If you showed up last week and somebody said, hey, describe 
I don't know who Jason is. I want to give me a, give me a, I may have run into him at, at some place, and I just want to describe him. If you said last week, oh, he's a guy that doesn't have a beard, he, he's got a clean face, and, and da, 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 he's, a, he's kind of a, this beardless, balding, tall, goofy guy. Okay, part of that's right. But if you know me, yeah, I shaved one week, but I didn't keep shaving. I got, I'm growing the beard back, right? Like, so I'm not keeping with the image that I was last week. I didn't do that for illustration, trust me. Uh, it's just kind of what happens. But that's what's going on here. It's like, well, we're associated with Abraham, but our lifestyle is in no way keeping up with us being associated with Abraham and the law. Isn't our association with Abraham favor enough? Isn't that enough? John, nope. What shall we do? And then he breaks down verses 11 through 14, what they should do. This is a message. And, and it's all common sense behavior. Like, as you say you love God, just go show that love to people. Common sense stuff. Let's see the fruit of what you say that you love. Their lifestyle is not supporting their faith. So this message to the diverse crowd to prepare the way to repent, not just with cleansing, but with your living, is the message that we see John going at. With all this newness, with all this change, with all this confrontation, why is John preaching this way? Why now? Why so serious? Why actually saying these things? Why insert these difficult new ways to live? The answer is where he leads us here. The majestic one is coming. The majestic one is coming. Well, we should say first of all also, why preach this way? Well, because this is God's message in his ministry. In verse 2, we see that it was God that gave it to John. Which communicates to us that all previous structure, all the things we like to hold on to as the way to do things, as special, must submit to the word of God. We say it all the time here, structure submits to spirit. We believe that all of our structure must submit to what God has for us. Spoken through the spirit, through the word. Let me ask you this morning, is your life structure, what you hold to is dear, is it, is it submitting to God and his word? Or is it, well, this is the way grandma did it. This is what I remember at BBS when I was 10. Are you making straight paths to get more and more of God or are you just complicating your life, holding on to these different things, making it hard for you and those near you to get more of God? Why did John speak this way with this message? Well, it's God's message, not John's message. But he spoke this way because Jesus truly is worthy of their repentance. As the people, verse 15, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. 
John answers them by saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And then, we didn't read it this week, but in verse 20 and 21, we see this. When the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized. So in the midst of this, Jesus comes into the scene here. He was praying, and the heavens were opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and the voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Notice there is no word from God about the new Caesar. There's no word from God about the new governor, the new tetrarch, not even the new high priest. Well, we like Annas, and we like Caiaphas. There's all this tension, all these things that were probably talked about in their culture all the time. No word. And then the new prophet comes, and this Jesus comes, and all of a sudden God says, Him. This is my son. This is the majestic one of all the new royalty that Israel and Rome were expecting or experiencing. There is this one last true sovereign. All the diverse crowd, the soldiers, the royal leaders, the everyday laborers, the lowly dwellers, the two tunic wearers. The message is the same. The proud should come down and look up. The downtrodden can look up and lift their heads. The crooked, the legalistic, the shameful, the gimmicky, the oppressive leaders better straighten up. Turn your allegiance away from whatever you were doing to the Messiah. So how do we conclude this message from John the Baptist today? How might this encourage you this morning? A few things and then we'll close. Friend, please, 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 Please don't think that this message that changed everything back then has actually changed today. It's the same. With all the different messengers that say they were alone with God out in the wilderness, they come back. Who do they usually always promote? Themselves. John the Baptist clearly is saying, oh, it's not about me. It's about him. All those people that say, I've got a message from the Lord that will bless you. Come, attend my service and hear from me. John went to them and says, y'all need to be ready because he's, he's coming. Are you aware of Jesus' pursuit of you, of your life? 
Secondly, friends, please don't think that every message from God is just a message to promote your current lifestyle. Don't you see that here? I mean, what the word repent is actually saying. Turn from all of this and turn to the one who can save you. There are many that write books and that give talks that communicate that God is so loving, that God wants you just the way you are, that you don't need to even consider anything. You can just come to him. That's a half-truth. You don't see that in Scripture. When we come to Jesus, yes, we come, but we're humbling ourselves to him. There are some people that were shocked. They didn't change anything, and they came to Jesus, but immediately they were humbled. Yes, Jesus will take you and love you, and he doesn't expect all this perfect behavior before you're changed. He wants you as you are, but as you come to him, you will humble yourself. And you will find joy in that. The message to make the straight pass and to repent is for us too. Just two more, I promise. Friend, so finally, come. No, no, no. Run to Jesus. Run to him. Repent, turn from all those other things. The message of John for us is let's get ready. Let's go out of the ordinary. Let's submit our structure. Let's submit everything else to know God more and more. He has come to make you one with him. He came to take your sin. He came to live the life that you and I can't live to die on the cross that we should have died on so that you can be with him forever. So run away from the other things. Don't worship the tetrarch and the governor and the new changes that are all out there. Come and bow before Christ who wants you, who knows you. Which leads to the final thing, which is obvious, right? Let us be a church that doesn't major on the minor. Let us be a church that majors on the majestic one and love him and say thank you and thank you and let's never get over it that he reigns forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving your son Thank you for your plan to send somebody like John to those people. Thank you for your plan to send people that you brought into our life that are telling us about the majestic one, the one who came to save, the one who, even though we're not worthy to untie his sandals, the one who wants to sit with us, dine with us, wash our feet. Jesus, there's no one like you. Our church exists as your bride, imperfect as we are, 
Because we look forward to the day, oh Jesus, our bridegroom, where you say, come, be with me forever. Help us to never be ashamed of that message and to spread it. Holy Spirit, come now. Lead us bluntly, but kindly and lovingly to turn away from things we shouldn't be following, to joyfully follow Jesus. We can't do it on our own. We need you. We confess this to you this morning.